0: life, If you give your heart and believe what he's done for you, you'll be set for life with your treasures stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be set for life. First Samuel and 29. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him, since he defected to me. So guys, imagine this real quick. David is actually marching in a Philistine army, 1 Samuel 29 and 4. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? So the Philistine guys, they know how much of a warrior David is, and they don't they don't like him, probably because they have not forgotten about what David did to Goliath. I mean, who could forget that? We're still remembering it this thousands of years later. That plus their cultural dislike of Israelites, all that together, they did not want him there. Now, I'm sure if David had actually gone into this battle, I'm sure he really would have turned against the Philistines. I think he would. I think he would have turned in the battle because he could not strike against the Israelites. He would have turned. I think the Philistine lords were right. I think he would have spun around on them. But how was David going to get out of this? Because Achish thinks that David is his guy. He thinks he's fighting for him the last whole year. Well, God gave David a way out by influencing the princes to outvote Achish because they didn't want to keep David on. Achish wanted him in, but they wanted him out. So they they overruled him, basically. So 1 Samuel 29 and 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright and your going out and your coming in with me, in the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you, therefore return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who came up with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now remember how David had just run from Saul when Saul was not even chasing him in like the last chapter or two. He wouldn't even chase him and here he had just consented to fighting with Achish. He had said I'll fight with you. It seems that David had been influenced a little too much by the fear of men. You know it's very hard to walk right up to the edge of sin like this and not fall in. David had been a little bit scared of men, but God had other plans for him. And what I think is neat here is how even though David couldn't see it, the Lord influenced other factors external to David to move him where he needed to be. You know, sometimes when you're moved, don't get too upset. I mean, there's a lot of things that move us from time to time, but don't get too bothered by that. It could be that the Lord wants you to be moved. Just go ahead and follow his lead on that. And so God, he influenced the Philistines to vote David out of the battle. And even though David was afraid here, maybe a bit, and he, he probably was doing a little what he shouldn't have done, like we all do. I do give him credit, though, for the protest that he made. It's kind of a light protest, like, oh, no, please let me stay. I want to fight. Please let me fight. <laughs> it's kind of like when you're just dying to get out of something. I'm sure maybe he really may not have wanted to be in this battle much, but God gave him a way out. You know, you get that way out. You're, oh, thank goodness I can get out of here. Literally, thank God I can get out of this battle. Rather than like, oh, rats, you know, gosh, I was really looking to fight in here, but okay, I guess I'll leave. We'll see y'all later. <laughs> I think maybe that's kind of a bit how it was for David here. He put up a protest, but not as strong a one as he could have. So I think he kind of part of, part of him wanted out. So good. He got out. See ya. I'm out of here. And uh, so the Lord plucked him out of the situation. 1 Samuel 30 and 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. For those of you who are following me in your Bibles here, I want you to highlight, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's something you need to keep right there because we all need to do that from time to time. I will talk about it. But we can also see here why the Lord ejected David from the Philistine army, not only to stay out of the way, of Samuel's prophecy that Saul was going to have an upcoming defeat. Because remember, the Israelites were supposed to get wiped out in this battle right here. So David has to be out of here. But also, David was moved so that he could go back to Ziklag again and see that it was destroyed so that he could rescue his people. It's a good thing that the Lord moved him by the influence of the Philistine lords ejecting him because now he sees there's a bigger priority. Now, another moment about David here, it says that all of the people were grieved. He's getting ready to mount a rescue. That's good. But all the people were grieved, every one of them. But notice how it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You know, you may find times, especially in these days, with things as crazy as they are. People are getting grieved. They're going crazy. And if you are the only one who has to make the decision, but I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord, then so be it. You be the one that does it because other people are watching you. Other people need to see your example. Don't cave in to their distress like them. I know there's plenty to be worried about at times, but strengthen yourself in the Lord and you can do it quickly. Do it fast David had to mount up a rescue mission. This isn't something he had years and years to work on. I've asked people before, how's your walk with the Lord? And some of them say, well, you know, I'm working on it. Five years later, I ask them again, oh, well, you know, I'm working on it. Ten years, I'm working on it. Twenty years, uh, you know, I'm working on it. Well, how long do you have to work on it before you can strengthen yourself in the Lord? Well, you know, I'm it's it's a process. It takes a while. No, it doesn't. David had to get after his people to rescue them. He had to go. And he needed to strengthen himself in the Lord now. Christians, I'm just saying that we can learn from this story today that with all that's going on, people need to see real believing Christians in Messiah Jesus. You need to build yourself up in the Lord now. But what does it look like? What does it mean to to strengthen yourself up in the Lord? Well, I was asking that question the other day, and I believe the Lord told me in prayer. He said, to strengthen yourself up in me, the Lord said, means you've got to remember And you've got to know it, and you have got to believe that I am with you, that I am with you. You know, you look at all the external things going on, all the craziness going on in the world, and it'll get you worried. It'll make you scared. But that's because you're forgetting that the Lord God is with you. Remember that the Lord God is with you. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. 1 Samuel 30 and 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and, without fail, recover all. Wow! What a promise! You know, there's things we go and do that we're not sure about, but then there's things that we go and do that the Lord has given us a promise about, and man, what a motivator to go and get it done. David has assurance from the Lord, this is going to get done. In chapters 27, though, let's step back a few. David fell into doubt. You remember that? He ran away because he was afraid of Saul, but here in verse 7, what's the first thing that David did? I want you to jot this down if you can. What is the first thing David did before he took any action, before he went off and ran off and did anything? It says he inquired, he asked, he inquired of the Lord. He asked, David said to Ahimelech's son, bring me the ephod. If you remember, Ahimelech was the priest in chapter 22 that was killed by Saul So the ephod is brought to David, and ephod is the priest's garment. What was significant about that? It contained the Urim stones. They would ask God for direction. What should I do? Yes or no? And the bottom line here is that David isn't just running off. You always ask the Lord, how many times did Joshua? You remember he attacked that one city, the city of Ai, and they got, uh, I don't know, a couple dozen guys or more or or three dozen guys killed? Because they did not first inquire of the Lord. Don't just charge off out there. I'm going to go do this. You really need to ask the Lord because he may have specific things for you. And besides, you don't want to go out without the assurance of victory, do you? Now, what if the Lord says no? He says no. But if he gives you a definitive victory promise behind that, well, man, go get him. That's better than just running off. David asked the Lord first. Another thing we need to look at here is the fact that the Lord was talking to David. He was answering David. The Urim stones and everything were talking, and and they were given answers. But remember how the Lord was with Saul back in 1 Samuel 28. It says, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim, See, that was the stones, or by the prophets. But the royal switch here had been made. God stopped talking to Saul. No more answered prayers, nothing, not even the prophets or the Urim stones are talking because God was only speaking to David now, only. Bring the ephod, David said, because he wanted to to consult with the Urim stones and he was given absolute assurance, yes or no, and the stones turned up an answer and he he probably asked the same question like 10 times and they, they, they all turned out the same way. You have an absolute assurance by the Lord himself that they should indeed attack this troop and that he would overtake them and without fail, look at that, guys, without fail, he would recover all, everybody, everything is coming back. So it's time to mount a rescue mission, a rescue mission that cannot fail because now David knows his rescue mission has the promise of God behind it. 1 Samuel 30 in verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued. Guys, I want y'all to remember that verse 10 right there. But David pursued. Keep an eye on it, okay? But David pursued. He and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite and my master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites, in the territory which belongs to Judah, and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. So again, we see how the Lord stopped talking to Saul. He stopped helping Saul, but is not only talking to David now, but he's also helping David. See, he gave him an assurance, a promise assurance yes, go to go, go down there, but he's also giving him aid. The Lord is actually helping, him. and that's a very unique thing to observe here is that the Lord assured him not only did you have assurance of victory, but he also gave him what he needed in order to make that promise come to pass. Pretty good. First Samuel 30 and 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and, look at this, guys, look how good it is, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Did God not promise that? David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. You know, guys, nothing will give somebody a better advantage over their enemy than when they see their foes partying down. I mean, when they're lost in sensuality and indulgence, eating and drinking and partying and dancing, getting down like it's, you know, just the biggest party. Nothing sets you up for vulnerability than acting like that. Party time, all about me, sensuality, hello, hello world. Doesn't that sound like the world today? Everybody's more concentrated on how they feel, how I feel. I got to feel good. I got to do what feels good to me. I want to party. I want to just have a good time. Life is good, man. You are making yourself vulnerable to your enemy. Look what it did to the Amalekites. And Guys, many people have gone down to the grave acting like this, just like the Amalekites did. Just a warning about how you live your life. So here is God's promise fulfilled from verse 8. When God said, you shall surely overtake them, and without fail you will recover all. You know, guys, when God makes a promise, uh, this is something we, oh, we got to get a hold of this. When God makes a promise, he sees to it that it comes to pass. It will happen. But not only did David recover what was lost, but he also gained beyond that, too, because he picked up more spoil. So he's actually working for kingdom work, and he's getting back more than he lost. Guys, I know sometimes a trial will come by, and it'll take something away from you. And you're thinking, oh, but I lost this thing. But if the Lord says, you go with a promise, and I assure you, you will recover, you'll get back better if you'll jump in and do good kingdom work and be that one brave person that even though everybody around you is totally grieved, be the one person that says, you know what, I'm not falling for this. I'm going to strengthen myself up in the Lord my God. And you go. First Samuel 30 and 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So what we had happen here is the worthless men. It says what that means is men who are destructive and selfish. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. There's a lot of that going around, even today, all these years later. They have zero compassion, no compassion for anybody else, just what they wanted. They thought the men that did not go and fight with them should not receive any of the spoils, that the only thing they should get was only their children and their wives back. Other than that, depart, get out of here. We don't want you anymore. You didn't come fight with us, so you need to go away. Now, David here, he was faced with a very difficult situation called division. Any of you pastor guys that's ever been dealt with that, it, it, it's very nasty stuff. And some of you may have seen a division happen in a church. Do not hold the church responsible. Please stay in the body of Christ somewhere. Divisions do happen, just like it's happening here. But David made a very good point when he was faced with division here. And he said, look, this is the Lord that gave us this. This is the Lord's provision. In other words, guys, it's not your decision. It's not your right to make a choice on who gets what. The Lord gave us this. You didn't even go get it yourself because when the Lord gave it, you don't get to make that decision. So you have to weigh in the fact that the men who stayed behind, though, watched over the supplies because that's what David said. No, they get a free share. They get the same share as you because they watched the supplies. Imagine if everybody all went to war, all of them, if they all went to strike the Amalekites and they came back with all this spoil only to find out that all their supplies had been stolen. David saw the worth in the men that stayed behind with the supplies, and that's why he established a statute that the share of a man who stayed behind with the supplies would receive the same spoil as any man that went into battle. Friends, let me give you a little, maybe a bit of a modern-day parallel to this. I know that some of you out there in your churches, you go on mission trips, and you go and you put yourself way out there. And I know that some of you in churches, you cannot go, and you're upset with yourself. I wish I could go, but for whatever reason, finances or health or whatever, you can't. You Look, you send the guys that can go, and you stay behind with the supplies. You stay behind at home and give them something to come back to. It's equally important. When you send somebody off on a mission field to go do some work and you help send them out there, the blessing they come back with, you get part of that blessing too, as well as them. Don't think you're any less because you're staying home, giving them home to come back to. I've been on some mission trips and believe me, after a while, you really want to come home. It's a good thing to come back to. So you get you get blessings either way. So I just wanted you to feel better. Those of you that want to do mission work and you can't, you're doing okay where you're at. There's a point for where you're at, okay? So just be happy in that. First Samuel 30 and 26. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, forgive my Hebrew because I don't have any, those who were in Aroar, those who were in, oh goodness, Sifmoth, those who were in Eth, Eshtemoa. Oh gosh, guys, what are you going to think of me now? I'm a Texan redneck, okay? Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time